I wake up to soft South Pacific breezes gently fluttering the curtain at my window. It's a night in a soft bed. After a glorious meal, and I feel terribly spoiled by Kiwi hospitality. Wandering downstairs to see who might be awake, I see coffee, cereals, and baked goods left out for us. Our bottomless appetites already humongous, and any vestige of manners, like not talking while your mouth is full, nearly eradicated from our thru-hiker selves. I take a moment to organize the confusing coming days. Confusing, you ask? Well, the Tiaradoa thru-hiker has offered their first set of trail options. Would you prefer a road walk, a ferry ride, or to paddle on your own steam? If you know me, even a little, through kayaking sounds awfully adventurous, and I go ahead and tick that box. Although there's one problem. The tides are all wrong, and I'd need to wait until late in the day, then have to paddle as fast as I can before the sun goes down, to take advantage of the incoming rush of water and get pushed up the Waikari Inlet. I can hardly understand a word Dan at Bay Beach Hire says on the phone in his thick accent, but I somehow make a deal with him to meet after I walk to the beautiful beach town of Pahia on the Bay of Islands. Game is on. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Like the small backpacking essential of the same name, the P-Rag tells the sometimes unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as a badass woman who doesn't need permission to blaze her own trails in this journey we call life. I want to thank Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-Rag podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky's should be in your hands. Recently, in the Blissful Hiker Hike blog, a backpacker friend of mine, who just happens to also be named Allison, wrote about a week-long backpack trip on the Colorado Trail. She pointed out in her piece a universal truth— Day two always sucks. Well, I'm actually doing pretty well here on the Tiararoa, especially on one of the hardest starts of any trail I've ever walked. So it wasn't day two that sucked. It was week two. Cam loads our washed-up and well-fed selves into his SUV and drives us back to Kitty Kitty, where Irene hops on a flight back home to Hamilton. Vern and Bryce, Irene's dad, pick me up for a day off in Cayo, spending the night at their converted container atop a hill above the light turquoise bay. Before we leave Kitty Kitty, Bryce finds me an inexpensive t-shirt at a massive culture shock-inducing discount box store, and Vern takes one look at my bright red eye and insists I get it checked out right now before moving on. Concerned as always about cost, I reluctantly head over to the Waipapa Clinic, where a pharmacist examines my eye. He asks me a few questions, 
and he ensures me it was the blowing sand on Ninety Mile Beach that's the culprit. He then sends me out the door within ten minutes with drops, costing less than ten bucks. Excuse me while I pause here to consider if I can move to this country, one that prioritizes affordable health care for all. Well, the remainder of the day is beyond relaxing. I didn't realize how tired I was until I take an extra-long snooze in their cozy guest caravan before we put on snazzy hats to head to the local pub and watch the Melbourne open and eat green-lipped mussels and Fangaroa Bay oysters. Lots of no worries, mate, and good on ya A's all night long with friends who are all very interested in why I'm here to hike. Why is it, though, that no amount of carousing with caring friends and lively locals rids me of this anxiety I feel, especially now that Irene is gone? It's as though I've survived this much on luck, not on my own ability to plan, make good decisions, or listen to my body. I tell myself, and seem to understand intellectually, that I can manage, that I have the strength, the supplies, the gear, and the sheer nerve to figure things out. But my lizard brain won't buy it, and the stress that's followed me here all the way from Laurel Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota, keeps repeating this refrain, You're way over your head. The next morning, Vern and I chat about our families and careers as we fly along the winding roller coaster of road back to where I left off at the stone house in Kitty Kitty. I so enjoy her company. She's wise and empathic. She's the one who taught me how to say the trail name properly and sound maybe just a bit like a local, Te Araroa. We hug and I throw olive oil on my back, bang my sticks twice, and begin walking by myself on a cool, sun-filled morning. Tuis flute in the trees as my pants get soaked by the dew. A few roosters announce a new day, and the flowers are ridiculously fragrant. I pull out my trail notes and read them over and over which way to turn, realizing I must look ridiculous carrying an overstuffed pack, walking with walking sticks, and needing to double-check every turn inside a city. I pass a cluster of Maori poofenua, or land posts, topped by creatures with sharp beaks and pawa, or abalone shell eyes. Those eyes follow me as I pass. Critical birds? I don't know. I'm pretty distracted by my nervousness right now. I hit a sidewalk and pass houses with some unusual found object artworks on the lawns, one a mannequin head within a metal cage. Her eyes are also made of power. I take a picture, then reach absent-mindedly into my pocket to ensure I'm going the right way. Damn it! I lost my trail notes! It's not as though I don't have a backup of the map on my phone, but it only serves as a reminder that I'm just not cut out for this. Well, come on, it's just forest after this sidewalk. It can't be too hard to find. I walk down the steep road, past views through Puriri towards the bay, surrounded by mountains. Here it is. I didn't pass it. The Waitangi Forest. Though I am told it's a soft G, so the name sounds kind of like describing the reason I might love a tasty morsel. Why? Tangy. Why tangy? 
It's just me this morning in the Waitangi forest on this cool, fern-lined track. The pines of this working forest are American imports, and I hear machinery chopping away in the distance. Mountain bike trails with names like Kiwi Flow, Magic Carpet, and Dead Possum snake through, and the birds don't seem to mind the monoculture. Richard always says, My wife is always smiling when she's moving her body. Walking has served me well all my life. When I'm blue or obsessing, Richard usually just sends me out the door. There's this funny story about the last time I spent any quality time with my dad. We met in Manhattan, and he was really tired, so one afternoon he took a nap and I went to Soho to see a play. He made me promise not to walk back afterwards to Midtown. But how could I not walk those 50 or 60 blocks back to our hotel on a late winter's night? It was glorious. Everywhere I've been has felt too small for my feet. And like my dad, Richard actually suggested I walk the Tiaroa in stages, mainly to preserve my career. But I just had to see what it feels like to do it all at once. On and on I go, up the Tupuque Road. I dodge massive dust-producing logging rigs for a short detour to a sculpture, one that memorializes the start of the Te Araroa. I walk right past it, thinking this artistic lump is a dead palm tree. It's not exactly beautiful, but this monument made of local volcanic rock is important stuff. Another short spur takes me up Mount Bledisloe, and the view opens up towards today's destination. The water is turquoise against mountains and islands, and I see the bridge I'll soon walk. I'm wearing my new T-shirt, striped with the word smile on big red lips. Glad I got it, because it's getting really hot. The forest opens up onto a road and golf course, then the treaty grounds, where New Zealand's Declaration of Independence was signed, though its proposed aim was to protect the rights of Maori and allow them to keep their land and forests and fishing grounds, while at the same time handing sovereignty to the British. I cross the bridge and a splendid cool breeze greets me. Three Maori girls share raw cockles with me, slimy as they go down the throat, but delicious. Along the beach, signs teach me about the birds in this seabird capital of the world. Terns, herons, even gulls are protected. The latter, clever little guys, stamping the ground to imitate rain and lure worms to their waiting beaks. Pahia is a total tourist town, with coaches crowding the streets, American accents, and every food imaginable. I set the alley coop at a backpacker's hostel, the pickled parrot, with a huge shared kitchen, flat lawn for our tents, and a huge area to just hang out. Ah, and here's Caroline from the Netherlands, offering me a glass of Pinot Grigio. Life is good. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. Through sharing my stories of walking long-distance trails solo as a middle-aged hiker, I set out to empower you to find your inner badass and learn to hike your own hike. 
If you're enjoying the storytelling, consider subscribing to The P-Rag wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple, I'd like to invite you to give it a review and a rating. That helps others find the podcast. Thanks also to Lecky Trekking Poles for their support of The P-Rag. The morning comes damp and chilly on the coast here in Pahia, Northland, New Zealand. Soon our tent city at the Pickled Parrot spreads out over couches and picnic tables to dry, most everyone on their phones. Others making choices about whether to move on or stay here for a few more days, after nursing swollen feet, oozing blisters, and a Rorschach test of sandfly bites scratched to bleeding. I feel amazingly fine, with only that red right eye, a souvenir of conjunctivitis coast, the last day of 90 Mile Beach. It's beginning to heal, and my wound-up nerves are settling in to this beautiful, lazy backpackers or hostel. Everyone is really lovely, and we share bluff another 1,800 kilometers ahead is our goal. Dutch, Australian, French, Belgian, Polish, but no Americans besides me yet. Three of us will kayak the four hours to Waikari later today, meeting at the beach at 3.30 sharp to take advantage of the tide. So there's really nothing to do today but shave my legs, share Bert's bees with the other girls, write postcards, and strategize for the coming days, deciding exactly how much food I want to carry. Most of the walkers here doing the Tiararoa are not through hikers They're in New Zealand to travel and, in some cases, work. So they just try out this trail, backpacking maybe for the first time. I mean, let's face it, the trail so far is not the Sierras or the Rockies, but it still requires humping a pack. I chose the Te because somehow I thought taking off the winter would be better for my job. It's far away, it's exotic, it's nothing like home. Well, I got the second part right anyway. I go into town and buy fresh vegetables at the veg and put my bare feet in the South Pacific on the way. When I come back, I make a gigantic stir-fry for Ondi and Brahm with added hippie dust found in the bulk bins in Kaitaya. It's nutritional yeast that tastes like cheese as it melts. Hiking will begin tomorrow again, so I take a wee nap in a hammock before kayaking. It's absolute bliss. But now it's time to go, and we walk to the beach to meet Dan. And two other men join us, one Kiwi who's already given himself a trail name. And I laugh since we've hardly walked anything like trail in the last few days. These two are cool and unfriendly. But I think maybe it's just nerves, because once Dan hands me the emergency radio and directs us to stick together at all times... They push their tandem into the choppy surf and begin paddling as fast as they can. Bram and Andy take a tandem, too, and go out at a furious pace, too, their stable and fast boat moving far out into the bay before I can even get into mine. I guess we're not staying together. I discover that my little boat has a rudder operated by foot pedals, and it handles precisely the opposite of my sea kayak at home. When I try to make it edge, it throws me to the other side, threatening to tip. The water is a rich turquoise, 
Light green fields pushing up to bush-covered mountains rising high above us, white puffy clouds serene. But I'm anything but serene. With no spray skirt, since that would require more training, waves come up and over the gunnels as I try to stay upright, paddling as hard as I can to catch up to the two pairs like dots now far ahead. Following waves push me forward into a whooshing rinse of white froth. I enter the tiny opening between Opua and Okiato, and then turn west up the inlet, right into the wind. The waves are confused here, and paddling takes everything out of me. I'm a strong paddler, too. What's happening? I begin to panic a little. I can't control this boat. I can't keep up. No one is even looking back to see if I'm still here. Come on, Al. You've paddled the big lake. You've paddled Lake Superior in three to four foot seas. You can do this. Do you really think you're going to swamp? I push and push and push into the wind, seeing the island up ahead, the midway point where Dan asked us to take a break and call him to let him know we're okay. I am not feeling particularly okay even as the headwind begins to subside as I get closer to land. I begin to wonder if it would have been better to just ride with him in those backpacks to the other side. Don't be ridiculous. You're paddling right now in the Bay of Islands. The air is fresh. The seabirds are flying above you. And you're strong. You're independent. I steer the kayak onto a carpet of broken shells and hop out. The sun is getting lower on the horizon, and I'm only wearing shorts, a wool top with my feet bare. I'm cold. I'm lonely. I can't bring myself to talk to anyone. I'd probably be okay if I tipped over. It's actually their complete lack of concern that leaves me speechless, confused, and a little bit angry, and frankly, bereft. Do they behave this way because of something I did? Or do they simply not give a shit? We leave the beach in silence, the boys again pulling forward like they have something to prove. The water is the color of milk tea, signaling we've entered the estuary. Sandbars beach us and we have to get out to push our kayaks off. But there's no more waves. There's no more fear. The wind and the current just kind of push us into the mangrove swamps and oyster beds, and we finally land at a tiny busted dock in sucking mud. It's one of those things that always trips me up, this idea that if I'm kind to people, they'll be kind to me. But life is not transactional. People do as they please regardless of our actions. The only thing that keeps me balanced is to know I act a certain way for my own integrity. And also that it's best to sort out who's worth the effort and who's not as quickly as possible. The boys roll cigarettes and we just stand there, staring out of the highway, waiting for Dan to come. I tell Undi and Brahm why I'm so upset, but they don't understand why staying together is so important. I tell them I feel disrespected, like I can't possibly know what I'm doing or have any skills since I'm a middle-aged woman. But I don't feel any better putting a name to what hurts me. It just makes me feel powerless. The sun is down now and I'm shivering when Dan finally arrives. There's no high fives, no celebration. We just grab our packs and go. 
It's a few kilometers walk through farmland. We pass horses at the gate and large trees with gnarly roots before arriving at Cheryl's place, her mailbox welcoming TA hikers, but no others. We pay to camp on her lawn. There's a long drop with a fancy toilet seat and a hose of cold water for my salty legs. She brings out a kettle for my soup and tries to sell me tea tree and kawakawa leaf lotion for my sore muscles. A couple of hikers poke out of their tents and complain about how loud we are. Cheryl ignores them completely and keeps talking to us as we huddle at the lone picnic table. A Chinese water torture backbeat thrums through the fields, and I finally crawl into my tent, unable to sleep. Andi suggests I let it go until tomorrow. Why is it I feel so bad now? I react, okay, overreact, and then I feel guilty for feeling anything in the first place. I'm trapped inside my emotions, unable to express myself effectively, unable to shake off how hollowed out I feel. I've been walking for 10 days, and now I'm certain I can't do this alone. Did I make a huge mistake coming here? The music finally stops, and delightfully strange night sounds fill the air. I look outside and see the Milky Way brighten the sky, and a poem by James Agee pops into my head. Sure on the shining night, of star-made shadows round, kindness must watch for me, this side the ground. I wonder if I'm too trusting, or maybe it's that I expect too much. I'll have to contend with all sorts of people on this trail, ones like Ondi who give me sound advice to let things sort themselves out in the morning, and ones like these men who appear self-centered and totally uninterested in being supportive. There are really dangerous parts coming up on this trail. Will it be sink or swim then as well? The poem goes on. Sure on this shining night, I weep for wonder, wandering far alone, of shadows on the stars. Truth is, I came here to do this alone. I came here to see what would happen to my mind, body, and spirit if I walked a long distance through hike. I risked a whole lot to find out if I have what it takes. It was kind of a shitty day, and doing what I've set out to do to walk the full length of New Zealand alone is scary. I gave away my heart out there on the bay today. I left myself vulnerable to rejection, and it did not feel good. I don't know if kindness must watch for me, but I do know that in this moment of twinkling diamonds on black velvet and creatures new to my ears humming and buzzing in the bush, I'm safe. And even if sad and confused, I'm fully alive. Maybe too, as James Agee writes, on this beautiful star-made night, at least a little, all is healed. I want to thank Leckie Trekking Poles for supporting the PRAG podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Leckie's should be in your hands. And thank you so much for listening, too. 
Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and go ahead and rate it and better yet, write a review at Apple Podcasts. You can read more about my hikes and see the show notes at thepeerag.com. Next week, the hike becomes a river walk through the musical Russell Forest, and then it's back to the ocean at Helena Bay and on to Fananaki. Until then, my friends, happy trails. Happy trails.